Well, it is a 54-mile journey from Selma, Alabama to the state capital in Montgomery. And in 1965, the Edmund Pettus Bridge that crosses the Alabama River outside of Selma became the scene of one of the most horrific examples of brutality that occurred during the civil rights movement in the United States. A young woman by the name of Amelia Boynton helped to organize a protest march, a peaceful protest march for voters' rights. She organized it with Rosa Parks and with Martin Luther King Jr. And they called for a peaceful march along that 54-mile stretch of highway from Selma to the state capitol. And they wanted to walk it to demonstrate the fact that Americans, African Americans, were not being allowed to register to vote. And as they crossed that bridge on March the 7th, 1965, they were met by state troopers who attacked the unarmed marchers with billy clubs and with tear gas as they crossed the bridge and over the county line on a day that would eventually become known as Bloody Sunday. And young Amelia was beaten unconscious, and the photograph of her lying on the street in the middle of that bridge was seen around the world. And people who had been apathetic or had been ignorant of what was going on began to take notice. The fact that there were innocent protesters willing to, with a very gentle and nonviolent spirit, make their point, began to galvanize public opinion, and eventually it led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And so 50 years later, Amelia, seen here in a blue dress, in her wheelchair, holding the hand of President Obama, joined thousands of others of people by walking or wheeling across that bridge, that very same place during the Selma Voting Rights 50th Anniversary Jubilee. And a few short years after that, she died at the age of 104, having seen a real difference made in her life as a result of her actions and the actions of many others. Well, we're in a teaching series here at Jericho Ridge called Serpents, and doves. And we're asking the question, what does it mean when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, I'm sending you out. And so I'm sending you out, you need to be wise like serpents and gentle like doves. What does it mean to live with wisdom in the world today? And how do we know when we should be dove-like and how and when should we be bold like a serpent? And in some ways, what the life of Amelia and many others who participated in the U.S. Civil Rights Movement demonstrates is that the image of snakes and doves as somehow either or, that you're either bold like a snake or you're gentle and harmless like a dove, is really quite a false dichotomy because Amelia was both. 
she was very bold and courageous, but at the same time, she had a gentleness of spirit and her commitment to nonviolence. But was she ever bold like a rattlesnake? And in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter, we have a powerful little section of verses that helps us understand how we also can impact the world around us by doing things gently, but with a deep sense of conviction and standing our ground with courage. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll look at this section of scripture together. The words will be up on the screens as I read, uh, starting in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll read through to verse 16. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. And Peter is writing in the first century to people who are living in a very harsh environment to their faith. They're oppressed. Their rights and freedoms are not being recognized. They're being persecuted because of their convictions. And Peter writes as to how to give them some advice on how to influence the people around them, how to interact with those who do not share their convictions. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathizing with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Do not repay evil for evil. And do not retaliate when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And God will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, and this is a quote from the Psalms in the Old Testament, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and their, his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good, Peter asks. But, even if you do suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So do not worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. What's interesting to me about this text is that some people believe that in order to make your point in the world, you have to be loud and you have to be brash and you have to be bold. And while that is certainly sometimes true, some people take that to mean that being gentle is being weak and that there's no way that a dove-like innocence could make any difference. But gentleness, we're reminded in the New Testament, is not a weakness. In fact, it's one of the fruits of God's spirit at work in our lives and in the world. And when it is wielded rightly, it can be a powerful change agent 
in the world. St. Francis de Salle, the Bishop of Geneva, in the midst of the Reformation, a very tumultuous time in history where people were attacking each other and highly antagonistic toward people who even shared the name Christian. Christian groups were fighting with each other and he maintained and tried to hold for peace. And he said this, nothing is so strong as gentleness and nothing so gentle as real strength. And so this morning we're going to look from this text. There are three things that this text teaches us about responding to others with gentleness. So the first thing that we're going to see is that in order to respond gently, you must live honorably. Gentle people live honorable lives. Gentle people live honorably. In other words, they live above reproach. They respect others. They respect people in leadership and they have moral authority that comes from the way in which they conduct their lives in the world. Peter says that if you want to influence others, if you want to be a person of integrity, verse 10, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Speak the truth so that people know that they can trust you. And that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, when he's talking to his followers and saying, you're going out into the world, be blameless and innocent like doves. It's that sense of purity, the image of, um, of rightness or being uh, in innocent in the way in which you conduct yourself. Because Jesus knows that when you start speaking up for truth, like Amelia did, people are going to accuse you of all kinds of things. They're going to try and drag other parts of your character and your life into a conversation and they're going to try and smear you so that they don't have to pay attention to the things that you're saying. And so you need to then be aware of the way in which you are conducting yourself and living your life so that the message of Jesus does not get compromised. Peter says in verse 16, keep your conscience clear. And then, if people speak against you, if they accuse you of things, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I have to be honest with you, I find this to be a challenge. I don't know if you experience this, but when people find out that you're a Christian, sometimes it's almost like there's extra pressure that gets layered on for you to behave in a certain kind of way. And it gets even worse if you're a pastor. If you do one wrong thing, people are like, aha, I knew that whole Jesus business was rubbish. And it becomes a little bit complicated sometimes. We had that this last week here at Jericho. Uh, we're under construction. You can see a uh, building undergoing renovations. And so we put up signs that uh, instructed people that we needed to reserve the lots for our construction teams as they come in and out. And we didn't want anybody's cars to get stuck in here behind a dumpster or a bin that was getting delivered or anything like that. 
And uh, so one neighbor posted on our Facebook page a scathing, I do not recommend Jericho Ridge Community Church. They're a bunch of parking Nazis. Went on and on about how horrible this church was. And they finished their review with the line, yeah, all that stuff Jesus said about loving others. What's up with that? They can't even let me park in their parking lot. So I responded, hopefully with gentleness and respect. But it surfaced for me again that when you're public with your faith, when you make a commitment to say, I identify with Jesus, your life and your behavior comes under scrutiny that is in a unique way that other people feel does not apply to those who do not claim to know or follow Jesus. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, as Christians, if that is something that you would consider to be a, a title that you would identify with, living an honorable life is hard work. I know I have two places in particular, there's many places, but two in my life that I find this very difficult. The first one is my driving. I find it very difficult for Jesus to sanctify my speedometer. I'm a more aggressive driver. And so I have told you publicly before that that's why I don't put like a follow me to Jericho Ridge Community Church on my bumper sticker because if I cut someone off in traffic and they're like, what? He's on his way somewhere religious. What's up with that? And the other area of my life that I find this difficult in is the off-leash rules at our dog park. I find it very difficult to obey the municipality's bylaws when it comes to this because the dog park area by our house is rubbish. It's pathetic. And so sometimes when I go to the park, I want to let my dog off of the leash. But there's a big sign that says, don't let your dog off of the leash. And I can see some people raising their eyebrows at me and going, really, that guy's a pastor? And he just flagrantly disrespects and openly flaunts municipal bylaws? What else is going on in his life that he's openly flaunting and doesn't care about the rules? So I don't know what areas for your life you find it a challenge to live out an honorable life, but one thing we need to recognize and just name is that it does matter how we carry ourselves as people of faith. Our behavior as messengers of the gospel does matter because it impacts the receptivity to our message. And this is not to advocate for legalism where it's just like you have to be a goody two-shoes, follow all the rules all the time, you know, because that's led to some very destructive and unhelpful things. And I think now in some ways, there's a bit of a pendulum swing back the other way. That a bunch of Christians that I know try to be like as edgy as possible, swear as often as they can, drink as much craft beer as they can, just to prove that they're really not uptight fundamentalists. But we have to recognize that our conduct influences people's receptivity to the message. And so a question to ask ourselves is, are you conducting yourself in your life in any way that some aspect of your life that's significant would cause people to say, really? They're a Christian? You've got to be kidding me. Maybe for you, you need to pay attention to the way that you speak. 
Maybe you have difficulty controlling your tongue. And in the neighborhood or in your workplace environment, you gossip regularly and speak behind other people's back. And then when you say to people, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Or a message about Jesus comes out, it gets lost because all of your coworkers think, really? That person's a Christian? I mean, the way they speak about other people is so awful. But then they turn around and call themselves a follower of Jesus. Maybe for you, it's finances. And when you invite others to be generous, it gets lost because you don't have a spirit of generosity. And so that's the first thing that this text says about living with gentleness. You and I are not going to be perfect. But we need to realize that how we live matters. And we need to strive towards living honorably, living with integrity, living with purity. So the second thing that we need to focus on that comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 3 about gentleness is that gentle people live humbly. Gentle people live and carry themselves with humility. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says, be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. And this is true because it's just common sense that nobody loves a know-it-all. And so if you come in blazing to any situation or any conversation with all of your prepackaged answers and a superiority complex, people are less likely to listen to you. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Gentle people tend to be humble people. They carry themselves with a humble attitude. The protesters in Selma, Alabama, they knew that if they responded to police violence with violence, they were going to lose the ability for people in their culture to hear the message. And this is especially true when you're bringing a message of love. When a person has a message of love, compassion, and sympathy, but they conduct themselves Harshly or vindictively, you are less likely to persuade other people about your message. Conducting yourself with humility as a person who is inquisitive, as a person who wants to discover more, this is what it means to be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Here at Jericho, we recommend uh, going through the New Testament in a year. And we use uh, an app called Project 345 for that. And so inside the Jericho Ridge app, if you go in there, there's a little passage that comes up every day. And uh, right now we're in 1 Corinthians. And so one of the verses that came up this last week, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. And it says, anyone who claims to know all of the answers doesn't really know very much. And one of the sad things is that in today's culture, people of faith are generally not known for a spirit of humility. They're generally thought of as coming into conversations with other people with arrogance and with a real uh, desire and sometimes condescension to try and get people to really understand what it is that they're saying. But coming in with a spirit of humility, gentleness, asking questions, 
can go a long way to breaking down barriers. And so today, maybe for you, your action point is to pause and ask yourself the question, are there areas of my life that could do with an increased dose of humility? Are there an area in your life that you need to just dial up that humility and dial down that sense of arrogance? And sometimes it's challenging because if we're highly successful in an area of our lives or at a project that we've participated in that's gone well, it can be hard to be humble. But humility isn't, um, a, a, isn't the absence of self-confidence. Humility is just a rightly placed understanding of who you are and who God is. Romans chapter 12 says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment, with the right estimation of what God has given to you. And so here at Jericho, one of the things we're learning as a faith community in the midst of this season of renovations is how to live with humility, how to live in a posture of giving all honor and glory for what's transpiring in our midst to God. Because it can be easy at times to fall into an attitude that's like, yeah, we got this whole renovation thing. We have tons of highly competent, skilled, and gifted people, which is true. We do. But we don't want to fall into getting cocky and thinking, yeah, we got this. Fundraising for this project, capital campaign, no problem. We got this. But friends, one of the great gifts that God is inviting us to receive as a community of faith at this season of time is the gentle reminder to say that God has got this. And so we need to continually remain in a posture of humility saying, as the psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be honor and glory and thanks and praise because we're learning these days at Jericho how to live into deeper places and spaces of humility because humility can be life-giving and one of the ways that you can maybe assess how you're doing in this area and how it's going in that whole humility exercise is just simply ask yourself the question when was the last time when you uttered the words I don't know because that's an expression of dependence that can signal a posture of humility. It signals a willingness to learn, a willingness to grow, to explore. It keeps us humbly alive in our hearts. Because the scriptures teach us that God resists the proud. God resists those who think they have it all together. But God's grace continuously pours into the lives of those who are humble and express their need and dependence on God. And that's one of the profound gifts that if you spend time and get to know people in the recovery community, that you'll learn really quickly that they offer that to us as a whole community and so I want to thank those of you from Wagner Hills who continuously show up with that gift into this space, helping us understand and learn more about what total dependence on God looks like. God gives his grace to those who are humble. So the first characteristic is that gentle people live 
honorably. The second one is that gentle people live with humility. And the third characteristic that we see in this passage is that gentle people respond to hatred and insults with love. 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And this is perhaps the most difficult discussion and aspect of gentleness. Because when someone comes at you with intense hatred, it's very easy to respond with that same level of hatred toward them and violence. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus warns his followers and he says, I'm sending you out. You will be met with opposition, hatred, and insults. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 22, all nations will hate you because you are my followers or you will be called names because you are associated with me. And Jesus says, there's times you'll go into a place, a conversation, or a town, or a relationship, and they will refuse to welcome you or receive your message. And instead of getting angry, Jesus gives his followers a particular response. He says, in those moments, what you do is you just shake the dust off your feet and just say, we're finished here, and walk away. Do not engage hatred with hatred. Instead of getting angry, Instead of responding in kind to insults with arguments, respond with gentleness and respect and love. For years after that incident on the bridge in 1965, whenever Amelia Boynton was interviewed about the events of Bloody Sunday, she said, being able to resist insulting those who insult us is evidence that our hope is placed in something other than our current circumstances. And that's gonna catch people's attention and make them curious about your convictions. And indeed, that was the case. The gentle and yet nonviolent and repeated actions. They had to do four marches in a series of a couple of days before they were actually able to make it past the police under federal escort all the way to the Capitol. And the unprovoked violence of Bloody Sunday became seared into the minds of Americans, many of whom had been completely apathetic to injustice. And they began to respond and pressure politicians into supporting lasting changes for African Americans. And in just five months after the publication of that shocking picture showing her unconscious, Amelia appeared in another widely circulated photograph, this time on August the 6th. And here she is, it's a little bit grainy, but she's shown with President Lyndon B. Johnson at the ceremony in which the Voting Rights Act was signed into law. Five months and a landmark piece of federal legislation finally prohibited racial discrimination in voting and became a hallmark for the start and the continuation of the civil rights movement in the southern United States. Because when they were met with hatred, they responded with love. And when we do that, in little ways, 
it's an indicator that the kingdom of God is coming. And friends, this is not just some kind of hypothetical question because we cannot live together in community and not bump up against places where we're going to have disagreements and arguments with each other. And so if you're new to church, one of the things that you need to understand is that if you hang around for any period of time, people will do things that annoy you you will get into disagreements and arguments with other people. And you're going to have opportunity to put into practice modeling and responding in love as we search for peace and work to maintain it. And so here's the thing, though, that I want us to remember. Because sometimes we'll talk about engaging with love for those outside of Christian community, but we have opportunity to practice that with each other. And our ability to engage well with those outside of the church actually begins with how we engage inside of the church in our interactions with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you can't be kind, if you're harsh, unkind, and vindictive with other Christians, why would the world be persuaded by a message of hope and love? Can't go out into the world with a message about gentleness and respect if we can't learn how to treat each other with kindness and gentleness and respect in the household of faith. So let me ask you this question for reflection and response as we move to close our teaching time here together today. Are there any areas of your life where you need to increase love and respect? And one of the litmus tests for that might be how you speak about people that you disagree with. And perhaps for you, this is a difficult one because you feel like you've been wounded or wronged by people around you and maybe you've even lost respect for them. And so maybe today for you is a day to practice forgiveness and grace. And that does not mean that if people disrespect you or treat you poorly, or like the examples of our brothers and sisters with albinism in Tanzania, you don't just roll over and go, okay, whatever. That's not what gentleness is. Remember, Jesus gave his instructions, the followers, that there is a time and a place to shake the dust off of your feet and move on. There's a time and a place to resist evil. But there's also a time when you need to pause and ask in my interactions with others, am I harboring any bitterness or resentment in my heart? And maybe today for you, you need to ask God to rekindle a love and give you a spirit of reconciliation and peacemaking. Because as followers of Christ, we're called to live at peace and be agents of reconciliation in relationships. To practice love of enemies as taught by Christ. And this is not easy but it certainly models what Christ modeled for us. And we're also reminded that while you and I were still sinners, while you and I were still filled in places of our lives with apathy and hatred toward God, Christ came to earth, was born and lived and died and rose again from the grave and gave his life as an offering that would bring you and I closer to God. 
as a demonstration of God's incredible love for the world. That God did that when you and I were still cursing God's name, not even believing that God existed, not even open to receiving it, God still chose the pathway of love. And maybe for you here today, you're living far away from God. And you've been on the run from God's love for a long time. And maybe today as you heard some of the messages of the songs that we sang, or maybe as we looked into the scriptures, something in you began to stir in your soul. And you felt a, a warmth or you felt, felt a, a desire to reach out to God in a way that maybe you haven't before. And you long for this sense of hope that Peter talks of here. You desire to be given the internal resources necessary to live a life of love. You think, I just can't do that on my own. And friend, that is exactly the point. You cannot do it on your own. You can only do it as a result of God's love. This is a gift of God, the empowering work of God's spirit that we spoke of last weekend. It's not some kind of self-help project where you just work yourself into a place of being a better person. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to love in this way. And so if you're here today and you have never said yes to God, you've never opened up your life to respond and receive the great gift that Jesus has given you, make sure you come and pray with us before you leave. And it's the, it's the best step that you'll ever take in your life. Maybe you're here today and you have had a relationship with God for a long time, but you've been reminded today of an area uh, for tuning up. And Ruth Ellen and the team are going to come and lead us in two songs of responding to God. And as we do regularly here at Jericho, we're going to have people available at the back for you to pray with. You'll notice them because they have name tags there. And maybe you want to just take time and say, I need help in this area of my life. Would you pray with me? I have this relationship at work that's a challenging one or in my family. Would you pray with me today? We would love to stand with you and support you in that journey to invite God to give you the strength that you need to love others well. And when we love others well from that place of a pure heart and a cleaned up heart that God gives to us. The words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will not only be pleasing to God, but they will have an incredibly powerful impact on the world around us. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you're able. As the team leads us in these songs, let me pray for you and remind you that people are available to pray with you as well. Gracious God, we thank you for your great gifts to us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that strengthens our hearts, gives us the ability to be both gentle but profoundly strong in our convictions, gives us the ability to live our lives in ways that honor and please you. And we recognize that we will fall short. And so we come to you in this place again today, individually and corporately, and say, God, 
Would you forgive us for those places where we are not in alignment with you, where we do fall short? We ask you would guide us and strengthen us along this journey of faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's respond in worship.